Well, good morning again, my church. How are you? I am glad, uh, hopefully like you are, to have Jeff Murphy back with us. And so the man, the legend, still lives on. And we are glad to have you back, my friend. And uh, I do consider Jeff a great friend, and I appreciate the trust that he, he places in me. And uh, that's actually w- what you have in Jeff is a, a great leader, because a leader that does not trust others uh, does not let me do what I do, even when he's back. Uh, but he got back so late this week, again, that uh, to prepare adequately for you. Uh, he was just not able to do that uh, with the time he took. And so uh, that is actually a tremendous quality that a lot of folks do not possess. And uh, he has a great faith in me and others around him and trust that uh, exhibits uh, the confidence he has in who the Lord has made him to be and the position that he has. And he always stands up here with humility and saying he is one of the pastors of my church. But at the end of the day, he is the pastor of my church, and he is our leader. And uh, that's just a great quality that he has in his humility and his trust and confidence. And uh, he did not ask me to say that. And I'm not saying that because he was nice to me earlier, but it's just a fact, you know. Uh, so I'm glad he kind of bypassed me and kind of got after Richard there for a moment. And, uh, and, uh, and by the way, these whole selfies, I'm of the age already that uh, when the word and the term selfie came out, I gave it that whole old man thing because I looked at my kids and said, what is a selfie? And so that let, lets you know a little bit about how old I am and the fact that I'm, I'm slowly getting out of touch with everything that's uh, in our culture that, uh, uh, that everybody else knows about. But, uh, but anyway, and I don't take many selfies, especially just a, of myself, but uh, we'll have to get one uh, done that my son always does uh, here soon. But anyway, welcome back, Jeff, and glad y'all survived backing down the mountain uh, again and getting back home uh, safely. So I hope you've had a great fourth on Friday. We just went straight old-fashioned for the July 4th. We, we broke out the grill, and we grilled hamburgers. How many else did all that? Yeah. I just went old-fashioned, and we had a bunch of folks over to our house, a bunch of our family and friends, and uh, there's just nothing like having your home full of or joining in the home of someone else, full of family and friends and just enjoying one another and the blessings that God has given us as a great nation with all the faults that we have and all the dysfunctions that we are because we're all involved in our nation, you know, we still live in a great, great place that God has blessed abundantly. I always like to say I live in God-blessed America and uh, that's just the truth of the matter. God has really watched over our country blessed us through all the good, the bad, and the ugly that uh, is always a part of life. And so uh, I hope you're very proud to be an American like I am, to be where we are, and just know that God has blessed us uh, greatly. Uh, I was going to wear my old-fashioned red, white, and blue uh, flag shirt, but Brandon in years past has made fun of me saying, Mike, hey, you broke out in the 70s again. So I just wore blue jeans and a red shirt with a white T-shirt, and so hopefully I'm a little bit more in Uh, especially since I don't know what a selfie is. But anyway, we've been talking about the overflow, enough of all that. Uh, How do we get to that place of overflow? And I wrote down this definition again of what the word overflow means. And here's what overflow means. If you looked it up in a dictionary, this is what you would find. It means to be filled or supplied with in great measure. To be filled or supplied with in great measure. And we know what this is all about because we all uh, long to have that overflow feeling in us in order to get through our day. Over the last couple of weeks, y'all have responded uh, 
in that vein, I mean, so you know what we're talking about. Two weeks ago, Ed began a, uh, the series out with the fact that, you know, to, if, if we want to operate with a full tank, instead of this empty feeling all the time, we've got to understand that God did not make us for religion. God did not make us and create us to observe certain rituals and to observe certain regulations and to follow certain rules. You remember he read out all the, the, the prohibitions that you cannot do on the Sabbath, which made it such an oppressive thing versus that wonderful gift that God has made it for us. God did not make us for those things. God made us for a wonderful relationship with Him. And so to begin the whole process of understanding that to operate out of the overflow, it's not about whether you check off the box. I was at church today whether I check off the box that I prayed for the pastor and his family today, that I check off the box whether I wrote a check to the church or not. It's not about all those things. Those are the things we simply do to help facilitate really that relationship that we already have with God or that we can have with Him and with one another. And uh, that's what Ed did with us to begin with. Last week I talked with you about nourishing the soul and that if we really want to operate out of uh, this whole mindset of a full tank versus an empty tank, we've really got to take care of our soul. And if you were here last week, you remember me asking you a question, and that is what is the condition of your soul? And we said the fact that uh, the fact is we probably have never been asked that question before. Chances are you've never asked anybody else that question before. We usually go up to fo folks and say, hey, how you doing? How's the family? How are your parents? How's the job? And we ask about all the things in our life, but we always neglect asking this question because so often we neglect it ourselves, and that is, what is the condition of your soul? How do you find yourself spiritually right now? Do you feel empty? Do you feel drained? Or do you feel full and so much of that is uh, a part of operating with that full tank and versus operating with that empty tank we know what it's like on Monday mornings uh, we, we look at each other and say how you doing and we say well for a Monday I'm doing okay I'm tired from the weekend I, I've, I've had a lot going on and some of us will be tired and have to go back to work tomorrow Jeff thank you welcome home and we'll say wow I, you know I'm already tired or I'm looking forward to Friday so we know what it's like to operate on an empty tank, and especially operating on an empty tank spiritually and emotionally. You know, we, we sometimes, uh, and, I, and I've done this before, and this is why you need to nourish the soul. By the end of a week, sometimes I look at my wife, and she's like, well, what do you want to do? I say, well, whatever it is, I don't want people to be involved. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? You've had enough. You're done. <laughs> Thank you. you you're, you're drained. And it's not that I don't like people, but sometimes you get to a place where I need to nourish myself and get full once again so that I can get back in the game. This week, I want to close out this series with you with a couple of things, uh, and it really has to do with your focus. It has to do with your attention, what it is that you place your attention on. Now, we hear great stories of these tremendous Christians over the ages. We read their books. We, we read about, we know about biblical characters and, and, and people in history since then that we say, wow, what was their secret? What is it that they figured out that I was not able to, uh, that I have not figured out yet? Maybe they figured out how to nourish their soul. They knew uh, wholeheartedly that their relationship with God was not based on or it did not find its meaning or purpose in rules and regulations and rituals, but it found its meaning in that intimate love relationship that God designed us for. But I think they also understood this whole idea of focus uh, and their attention because uh, let me remind you of something that I think you already know is true, okay? 
and that is this, operating out of the overflow of having that full tank spiritually and emotionally, mentally, physically, it's easy when times are good, isn't it? I mean, when life is good, when all is well, when all are healthy, the job's great, the family's wonderful, the church is going good, and, and everything just seems to be fitting together. Operating out of the overflow seems to just be a very easy thing. But here's the deal. Operating out of that overflow when times are not so good, that's where we have to look for something and say, okay, where do I find the extra filling of my tank? Where do I find something? Because life is right now a little bit more difficult. It may not be because of, of health or whatever. It just may be that you're in some difficult times, some things that are going, uh, that are a, a struggle in life. How do you find that then? Well, it all comes back to your focus. It all comes back to your attention. I'm going to share with you three verses out of the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at these for just a moment. We're going to end up going back to, after we look at this, at some words of Jesus. So we're going to look at these three verses, and then we're going to focus later, as I wrap this up, on three words of our Lord that will help us, I, I hope, find that focus that we need to find in order to maintain a full tank. In Hebrews chapter 12, notice these three verses beginning the chapter out. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, we've read all these books, we know all the biblical characters, we've seen them, we know about them, and they, and they give us great hope with their story, okay? We're surrounded by all these, this great cloud of witnesses. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews in verse 1 immediately tells us, we're surrounded by all these wonderful stories. We want to experience this overflow of, of, of all these great people and these great stories. How do we do it? Well, we throw off certain things. We get rid of certain things in our life. Sometimes these are the things that are good. You know, sometimes you need to throw off things that are not bad. I, I believe sometimes we look at our world and our society and we say, well, I shouldn't be involved in this, this, or this because it's, it's bad. It's sinful. I need to move away from this. Well, go a little easier on yourself. It's not that the things that you are doing are necessarily so bad and evil and sinful. In other words, you could be doing something that's very good, but if it's taking away from your focus and your time and your energy and it drains the tank a little bit, then you might want to consider backing off from it a little bit. It could be a great thing, but it may not be the thing you need to do to maintain a proper focus on the Lord. Now, of course, we need to get rid of the sin that entangles us. I mean, we understand that, and, and sin just does entangle us. Um, we're not going to uh, take the time to talk about all the sin that entangles you, and we're not going to take the time to talk about all the sin that entangles me, but we need to be very purposeful, vigilant on getting rid of all that sin that entangles us. And then it tells us there in the last part of verse 1, with perseverance, we are to run the race that is marked out for us. He gives us this athletic uh, illustration that this singular focus is, is supposed to accompany us to run this race like, like an athlete would. Have you ever noticed that a lot of the best athletes in the world are kind of unbalanced? And by that, I don't mean that they are mentally unstable, okay? I don't mean that. But they are so focused and laser sharp 
on the skill and the talent of their particular sport or whatever that they are so good at that that they have just thrown off all this other stuff. They've gotten rid of everything else that entangles them, and they keep their eyes focused so strongly and purposefully daily on the prize that's before them that they run that race marked out for them that their focus keeps them on task and they become one of the greatest it's ever been and we can talk about all kinds of examples and then it goes on in verse 2 it kind of picks up after that it says let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith and then here's the key that I want to focus on with us today who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God verse 3 encourages us one more time consider him talking about Jesus again who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart now keep that verse up on the screen for just a moment he tells us here in verse 3 consider once again Jesus I mean, he, he endured such opposition from such sinful men, and yet he overcame it because of that word joy, and we're going to come back to that in a second. He says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, do you know why he put that in there? He put that in there for a very simple reason, because we grow weary, don't we? Am I the only one that grows weary? You grow weary too. I know you do. And there are times where we lose heart, and the writer of Hebrews says, Mike, Listen to me. Focus, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. In verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame in order to do the work that he has come to do and then to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You see, what you look at is very important. What you look at is extremely important. Now, I'm not going to necessarily talk about physically that you shouldn't look at this or shouldn't look at that. Let's deal with this thing spiritually and emotionally. What you look at, and we could do that another time, is so extremely important because it, it, it dictates your focus. And your focus is your attention. And what you give your attention to is where you go. If you take a look at yourself... If you take a look at all your circumstances around you, the last part of verse 3 will come true. You will grow weary and you will lose heart. Whereas verse 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is that author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What did Jesus set before him? He set before him the focus of his attention, and that was the joy of accomplishing the work that God had set him out to accomplish. And he kept that one thing in front of him because as he endured the cross and he scorned the shame that came with it because uh, the Bible says, cursed is a man who dies on a tree and who's hung on a tree. And Jesus said, you know what, I'm just not worried about that. I'm not going to focus on the shame that people place on the cross and the pain that it's going to make me go through. I am going to keep my eyes laser focused on this one thing, the joy that is set before me. Now, as you think about your own situation, your own life, how you fill your tank, how you can get to that place of overflow where you are filled with and supplied with great measure, you say, well, Mike, it's a little bit different for me than it is for Jesus. I mean, after all, he was the Son of God. Surely he could do all this. Surely he could set that joy before him and endure that cross and scorn at shame, but I'm having a hard time with it. Well, let me remind you 
that when you read the Gospels, Jesus, like in Matthew 26 and verse 39, when he's in the garden and he's headed to the cross, do you remember his prayer? He said to the Lord, he says, would you let this cup pass from me? He showed his utter humanness at that moment. He says, you know what? If I get a vote in the matter right now, my preference as a human is, is let's do this a different way possibly. Is there a different way to avoid all this pain? Because I'm headed down a path here that's going to hurt. To say it very, very, very mildly. But then Jesus also said, nevertheless, it's not my will, but it's yours. And he reminded himself again of the joy that is set before him. Only what was at the end of the race could have motivated Jesus to leave heaven in the first place. Hello, how far is it from the throne room of God to earth? How far is that? And my, my wife still says to me, she says, Mike, you ask strange questions sometimes. And, and I, I get it. I know I do. But here's the deal. How far is it from heaven to the, from the throne room of God himself to earth? It's only the motivation. It's only that joy that Jesus could have set before him at the end of that race, it could have motivated him to leave heaven in the first place and to do and endure what he did at the cross. When we anticipate that heavenly reward of faithful service, the joy of the Lord will be ours, even in our times of suffering, even when we know and we say, wow, this is not going to end, we can, listen, we can remember, we can go back to the Scripture and say, one day I'm going to hear these words from God, and that is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter and share the joy of your master's happiness. We can be like Paul and say, I'm just going to forget what is behind, and I'm going to press on for the prize that is before me. We can know that the Scripture tells us that there is laid up a crown of righteousness for us. And this is what Jesus Christ endured. How? Because of the joy that is set before him. Now let me ask you a question about this whole joy that is set before us biblically and spiritually for us. Maybe, maybe we get sidetracked. Maybe we lose sight of the fact that we have such a great heavenly reward awaiting us. Maybe it's because we've never seen it. Maybe it's because we still are, are only dreaming up pictures of it, what it's going to look like, what it's going to sound like, what it's going to feel like. Maybe it's because it's a little bit just a, a little bit out of our reach and we say, I don't, I'm not sure I can understand it enough to really put it before me as that one prize. I mean, we know intellectually I mean, we can give intellectual assent to the fact that, you know what, there is an eternity awaiting us. There's a heaven, there's a hell. And there's something to be gained and something to be avoided here. But does it really drive us? And if it, if it was really there in front of us, that joy that is set before us, just like Jesus, I really believe it would change our outlook every single day. Because when we think, when we stop and think for just a moment, what it is that we face. Because the next verse after that, uh, even though it's not going to be on the screen, it says, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. When we think about the, the things that we have to face, we have never faced what Jesus Christ himself did when he had to bear the sin of the world. Now let me ask it to you in another way. How many of you have to-do lists at your house? Raise your hand. Do you have a to-do list? Do you have a list of projects that you want to 
be, have completed. I see Richard already laughing at me. He's been in my house, and he knows what plagues me right now. You have to-do lists. Uh, ladies, how many of you wish your husbands would get to the to-do list faster? Go ahead and raise your hand. Rat them out. There you go. Just rat them right on out. Glad my wife's not here yet, but she'll be here for the second service. I'll adjust that illustration next service so she won't rat me out. Why do you put off doing those things? By the way, ladies, you know, have you ever heard that joke? And I'm going to botch it up. He's like, you know, you're always wondering when your husband's going to get to things you ask him to do. Once you tell him once, you don't have to tell him again. Just remember, he'll get to it six or eight months down the road. Just let him go. Um, anyway, why do you put him off? It's probably because you're going to have to, <laughs> and Rich is going to laugh at me again, you're going to have to endure some pain to get there. You're going to have to endure some, and y'all are wondering what that's all about, and don't make me go there because it'll, it'll just depress me and the, the day will be over. Um, yeah, you, you, look at the, you look at what's required to get from point A to point B, and you're like, whoa, wow. And what, what projects at your house or what items on your to-do list get done first? The easy ones or the ones that you have the greatest passion about, okay? The easy ones are those that you are passionate about. And you go, wow, okay, this one's going to get done quickly. And besides, my heart is more into this right now than it is right here, okay? And therefore, I'm going to put that one off. Why? Because I may not really be able to see the end of that one yet. I don't, you know, I, I, I know it's there, and, but we'll come back to it. And so we kind of immediately, I think of kind of jumping back into last week's message. We know our soul needs nourishing. But you know what? I got to go do this right now. I got to do this. I got to do that. And all the while, our soul lacks the nourishment that it needs, which, by the way, you know, we didn't get to, uh, we didn't get to last week. Uh, so many things about nourishing the soul from uh, what I call listening prayer. Did you ever know that prayer is a two-way co uh, communication? So many times our prayer life is a one-way communication. We close our eyes, we bow our heads, we might even get on our knees or something of that nature, and we proceed to tell God everything we need to tell Him and ask God everything we need to ask Him. And then when we say amen, we get up off our knees if we're down there, or we, we raise our head from it being bowed, and we begin to walk off, and God's like, whoa, wait a minute, i got something I need to tell you, but you're gone. We don't ha spend time listening to prayer. Uh, silence and solitude. Have you ever noticed how awkward silence is? You want to know how awkward silence is? Let me shut my mouth up here for 60 seconds, and y'all will be squirming. It'll be awful, wouldn't it? Have you ever been in a public place, you say, and you hear them say, we're going to uh, observe a moment of silence uh, in honor of whatever, okay? And then everybody gets quiet. A moment of silence, if you're lucky, turns into about six seconds because that's about as long as we can take silence before we're like, looking around, making sure everybody's still okay and, and wondering, if, you know, what's going to happen. Silence just, it's just not our thing. And so these are things that we have to do to nourish our soul, and that's that task, if you will, that to-do list where you say, you know, I know I need to spend time on that, but I'll get to it later. You see, the key word here in Hebrews 12 and verse 2 is the word joy, I think, for our for our. Uh, uh, conversation today. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the joy that is set before you today? 
What is the joy that is set before you today? I contend that the joy that is set before you today will dictate the things you do today. If it's to do whatever the case may be, you fill in the illustration, whatever your heart is set on, whatever your eyes are focused on, whatever you want to achieve on that to-do list, that's what you will do. And you will endure all the things necessary to get to that. So my question is a little bit further now. Not only is what is the joy that is set before you today, but does that joy have anything to do with your relationship with the Lord? Does that joy have anything to do with the fact that you are called to be in relationship with Him, that God desires to love you, to let you know that He loves you? We sing so much, even these songs today, about the love of God. We set our hope on the love of God. What a wonderful thing to set your hope on and in. And that's what I believe is the question, is joy. Now, don't put the verse on the screen yet, but I'm going to go back and we're going to look at the evidence, real quickly, with the time we have left, that Jesus had great joy in everything that God called him to do, in everything that God expected of his son, Jesus Christ, that the joy of completing that to-do list, the joy of completing that task, filled him all the way to the end. Now, you know of the sacrifice our Lord paid at Calvary when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. You can reflect, you can look back, you can even think back with the scripture that you've read or maybe even the movies that you've seen like The Passion of the Christ and you can see the brutal beatings, the scourging, if you will, that Jesus had to endure as he made his way to the cross. And as he made his way to the cross, he died a death that everybody for all time have recognized as the worst and most cruel kind of death ever created by mankind, and that is the hanging on a cross. And as he got to this place, certain things were being fulfilled. And as everything was fulfilled, we realized that at the end, he gets a drink, okay, because he wants the Scriptures fulfilled. And then in verse number 30 of Luke, excuse me, of John chapter 19, this is what we read. The three, what I told the worship team earlier this morning as we prayed, the three, potentially the three greatest words ever uttered by Jesus in the Scripture. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Powerful words. Everything was done. Everything was complete. And Jesus said, it is finished. And then after that it says, with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The enemy didn't take it from him. The enemy did not kill him. Jesus gave up his own spirit because at that point he said, it is finished. Those three words are proof that the joy that was set before Jesus allowed him through all of the exhaustion, all of the beatings, 
all of the loss of blood, the, the scourging that many times those who were hung on a cross never got to the cross because they never survived the scourgings because those soldiers would just as soon kill you right there with the scourging as to have to go up there and put you on a, on a tree. But he survived that. He, did, he went through all of that, just like the book of Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him to finish the task, he got to the end and he said, it is finished. Tetelaste is the Greek word that we get our words, it is finished. Now, let me help you out with that one word. Now, if you can't pronounce that Greek word, check this out. Neither can I. I just pretend I know what I'm doing. And y'all are like, man, he's smart. Truth is, I'm just pretending because tetelestai, some words give y'all trouble. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. That one just doesn't roll off the tongue for me. But let's just go back to the English. It is finished. That was not his final desperation to say, thankfully, this is over. Thank God it's Friday. It's over. I'm done. Okay? This was a declaration of a triumph. In fact, I'm going to give you six quick examples, and now you're worried. You're like, whoa, we ain't got that kind of time. I'm just going to list them for you, okay? We're not going to go through these. These are six ways that in Bible times, this phrase, tetelaste, it is finished, was used. And you'll see why it's filled with joy. You'll see why these words are a, 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 a declaration of triumph versus that desperate plea of, man, I'm glad this is over with. I hope I don't have to go through this again. This is what it means. Number one, artists use this when finishing a painting and stepping away from their painting and going, tetelaste, it is finished. It is perfect. It's when that artist gives the final stroke and they know it's done and they step back and they enjoy their work. Servants, number two, use this when reporting to their master and finishing their job or finishing their assignment. They would come to their master and say, tetelaste, it is finished, nothing more to be done, it is complete. The third one is judges would use this when they would confirm the completion of a prison sentence saying, justice has been served, tetelaste, it is finished. Priests, this is a great one. Priests would use it when describing the perfect sacrifice. When the perfect sacrifice was brought to them, the unblemished sacrifice was found, and they would say, Tetelaste, it is done. This is it. No more. This is the unblemished one. This is the perfect sacrifice. Merchants would use this when stamping a bill, and they would say, and I like this one because this one fits, it means your debt has been paid. It is paid in full. Take what it is you've bought. Tetelaste. Debt has been paid. Soldiers, number six, would use this as their battle cry when they would simply cry out, knowing that victory was theirs. You are finished. I win. This is what Jeff hears when we play ping pong together. I look across the table, I look at him and say, Tetelaste. You're finished. I win. <laughs> we won't get into the others because he'll get me back. And he was so nice to me earlier. I shouldn't have said any of that. Next service, that's right. Okay. 
But do you see what I'm saying? Tetelaste, it is finished. When Jesus hung on that cross and everything had been fulfilled all the way to the final drink, I can imagine, and that's all I can do, and I I have a very weak imagination when it comes to trying to fathom the thought in the heart of God, but can't you just imagine that as Jesus hung there and everybody is just utterly devastated at what's happening, utterly destroyed, their hopes and dreams are gone, and Jesus in his heart is going, if y'all only knew, man, it is done. It is finished. The Satan, the devil, thinks he's won, but I have won. I have conquered sin for all time and for all mankind. And today, we can sing songs like we sing, and that is my hope is on you, on your love, your unfailing love. My goodness, that is more amazing than anybody could ever describe. And I'm having an extremely hard time even thinking about what to say at that point. It is so amazing. Jesus endured the cross, scorned its shame, where it carried with it so much shame. Jesus says, oh, forget it because this is where victory is. If you want, there's, uh, you know, time's practically up. If you want to know what it's like to operate out of that overflow, to be filled with what you long for spiritually, emotionally, physically, to get through your day and to operate from that full tank versus the empty tank and wondering where am I going to come up with the energy to do what I do. Place before you the joy that is yours in Christ as your focus, as your singular focus, just like the runner that is running that race that's marked before him, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes and your heart and your soul on the joy that awaits you, that when you enter those gates, you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Where you know that, hey, I pressed on and I pressed forward and I went through, and now the prize of heaven is mine. It does not mean life's going to be easy. It does not mean it's not going to be a grind because we said that last week. Remember those of you who are here? Life is a grind. That's just the way it is. And some of y'all know that far better than I do because your job is a grind on you every day. You put in 40 minimum, 50, 60 hours. You're giving your heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears to a, to a boss and to a job that that feeds your family, that does all you have to do, you come home, and relationships are sometimes difficult just because that's just relationships, okay? We, we don't always see things eye to eye. And you work through that. And you say, when is life going to o- be over with? When is all this going to get past me? Well, guess what? It's not. Life's difficult. It's hard. That's why you need the joy set before you so that when that grind has hit it to, to its max and its point of ending, you can say, Just like Jesus, yes, it's done. I've won. I have the victory. Without that mindset, and you get caught up in all the muck and the mire that's around you, you're going to be empty. Sometimes the only thing that will fill you, sometimes the only thing that will fill you is the joy that is set before you that you've not yet attained, but that you will. You will. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed for just a moment, I wish I had so much more time to share things with you on this subject, but it would wear us both out and it wouldn't be worth it probably. 
But God wants you to know at least these three things that we've shared over the last three weeks. He doesn't want you to be bound and to think that a, a life with Him is all about rules, regulations, and rituals, and checking off boxes. He just wants your heart. He wants you to enjoy that heart relationship with Him. If He wanted to do anything else with you, if He wanted to dog you about your sin and beat you for your sin, He would have done that. But He gave His Son for you. That's how much He loves you, and He wants your heart and His to be one and be in relationship with each other. He knows, too, just like we talked about last week, how much your soul needs nourishing. And Satan knows how much he can accomplish when you don't nourish your soul. And God says, take time, pull away, and let me nourish your soul with you. And today, keep that joy in front of you, that focus where you fix your eyes on the prize, just like Jesus himself did. And when you find yourself in the grind of life chewing you up, just remember, it chewed our Lord up in ways that we'll never experience. And at the end, he was able to say, I have won. God, you have won. And people have won today because of what I've done. And it may be that that one thing, the joy that's set before you, is the one thing that you can fill your tank with and remind yourself, I can keep going today, and I don't have to keep going on empty because that knowledge fills me to a point of overflowing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much today for your love. Lord, it's indescribable. There's no way that we can even fathom it. There's no way we can address it in its fullness here today or ever really on this earth. But I thank you for it, and I stand amazed in your presence that you would love us the way you do. Thank you, Lord, that you just want our heart. That you just want to be in that relationship with us that, that loves us and has our love returned to you. Lord, that you have a desire to spend so much intimate time with us that if, that if we would allow you, you could nourish our soul and fill our tank on a daily basis. If only we would. And that, Lord, at the end of the day, through all the grind of life, you have set before us such an incredible joy. And like Jesus, we can declare, even today, before we ever get to the end, even today, tetelaste is finished. We've won. And that can be what we need to fill our soul. Lord, I pray for your church today that as we leave here, we'll be a little bit better equipped and operating out of the overflow instead of out of such an empty tank all the time because we have a desperate world around us that needs this kind of encouragement that can come from your people and can give them the hope of what we've sung about already today because we have that hope. And Lord, we thank you for such a great example as your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.